that's noted on the on the entrance of the church when you come in is to prove me the scripture reference out of Malachi 3.10 in the King James Version says prove me now herewith saith the Lord of hosts and if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be enough room to receive it um, the title of the message I'd like to bring today is what will be revealed in proving God this year. Uh, what are you looking, as you prove God this year, what are you going to be looking for, for him to reveal to you? Because as we go through the last three days of our church fast, um, what a wonderful way to end the fast on Saturday than to come to church in song and praise. Did you plan that, Pastor? What a wonderful way to end the fast on Saturday than to come Sunday evening in song and praise. Um, and, and it's my prayer... As you went through this, we're doing things together as a family, aren't we? We're doing things together. And this fast, I am certain that God has already shown you certain things. The object of Malachi 3.10 is to prove him so you can see. Um, what, is, what are you proving God what, what are you, what's God going to reveal or has already revealed to you uh, in this coming year? As we sang that phrase, uh, have, he came down from heaven above to show us the way. Is he showing you the way? Uh, I'd like to read a scripture out of John 18, verse 38. And this set, to set this scene, Pilate has Jesus standing in front of him. He's, he knows this man is innocent. And he's questioning him, actually even washing his hands, trying to get uninvolved with this because he knows this man is innocent. Yet he yields to political pressure and condemns Jesus to death, which fits right into the plan of God had anyway. But he's standing in front of Pilate and revealing himself to Pilate. Pilate is questioning him, and he said sarcastically, what is truth? You know, I, I don't doubt that every person in this room has heard that scripture. Is there anyone in here that has not heard where Pilate asked Jesus what is truth? Has anybody not heard that? Would you raise your hand? Everybody's heard that. I dare say, I'd like to ask you this question. Does anybody in here know what Jesus said to Pilate that 
pilot to, to ask this question, what is true? Does anybody know what prompted Pilate to speak out what is truth? What did Jesus say to Pilate? Because he did say something to Pilate. And Pilate responded, what is truth? Does anybody know what he said? What did he say? You're right, and he did, but what I'd like to do is read the specific verse because what he said has significance on us proving God this year because I'm here to tell you that God is going to reveal to you the truth. Are you wanting this year to have God reveal the truth to you in two areas? The truth to you and and the in what God is really like. Because a lot of us can have real foggy ideas about what God's like. We all come with baggage. And God, through His gracious mercy and discipleship, allows us to take this journey together. And some of the thoughts that we have about what God is like, we discover they're not really true. And yet when we see God in reality and how much He loves us, and desires intimacy with us, those images that are in error begin to melt away and we see the true image of God. Secondly, is God's wanting to reveal to you your own identity, who you are. Are you willing to let Jesus Christ reveal the truth to you this year in these two areas? Amen? This is what Jesus said to Pilate in verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, So you are king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. I'd like you to underline that. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I've come into the world. I want to stop right there for a minute. That is significant, don't you think? Jesus is just speaking to a man who's trying to get him off the hook, but he has all these political pressures on him, and he does wind up ordering him to be crucified, even though he knows the man is innocent. He says, for this purpose I was born. That's a revelation, my friend, that you need to grab a hold of. For this purpose I came into the world. He came from heaven above to show the way. We just sang that. To bear witness to the truth. Those things he will reveal to you this year. Number one, on who God is. And number two, who you are. And he goes on to say, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And in the Malachi verse where it says, prove me and see if I won't pour out blessings on you, God uses primarily two ways to communicate to us. One, is through your sight. 
two is through your hearing. Jesus is saying to Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So this year, as you go through this year, and our theme is, are you willing to go through this year proving God in your life? Because if you'll do this, he will reveal his own nature to you. You will discover the reality of who God is, and he will do that revelation through you seeing and through you hearing his voice. Isn't that a thrill of a lifetime? This is an adventure that we're in as a family. We're walking this together, and he's desiring this intimacy with you, and it's a choice that we make. And Pilate then responds sarcastically, what is truth? But I think it's amazing where all of us, I've met Christians all over the world who know immediately when Pilate said that, what is truth? But very few people recognize what he said just before that, where Jesus said, this is the purpose I was born. This is the purpose I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Anything Jesus reveals to you, you can mark it down. It is true. He's not going to lie. He's going to tell you the truth. And don't you want a Savior that's that way? He's perfect in every way. He's going to reveal the truth about what He really is like. And so many people can get mixed up in ways with the baggage that we carry. Uh, I think of one of two different errors that we can go off in. One is the error of thinking that God's not really a caring God, that he's more like a figure of a, of a grandfather figure in a rocking chair in a distance far away. He's not in, interested in being involved with our lives. And all of that is a lie. But a person who believes that God is like that, he is going to have difficulty in seeing God or seeing themselves. Another error that we can get caught up in is seeing God as this smothering type image where he's blanketing us with such a holy presence that the minute that we step out of line in any way, some lightning bolt from heaven is going to strike us down. And we're going to be judged. That is a lie. God is a loving Father. And again, I want to mention this, that it is a family that we're walking in a relationship with a living God. And this relationship is a discovery of the truth. And I'm, I, I want to say to you, on this journey this year, I want to discover it. I want the truth. Uh, isn't it amazing how in the political realm, it's almost we never hear the truth. Uh, it's, it's like if they spin the story often enough, even though the events just happened a few months back, if they spin the story and they know it's a lie. It's not true, 
But they keep saying it over and over. And you know, some people, <laughs> some people do believe it. Uh, it's amazing how they will even revision history. They'll rewrite history. I grew up in school. We studied American history. And I want to tell you some of the American history books that you read today are nothing like I read. Uh, the founders were uh, not, the, not Christian. The founders were anything but that because they want to write God out of this picture. But no matter how much they try to rewrite that, you can go to the original documents if you so desire and actually look at them yourself and see the truth. I want to see the truth. And no matter how many times they spin it or want to rewrite it, it doesn't change the truth into something that they're wanting to make it. Which brings up a point. Do you know the very first time history was rewritten? Adam and Eve were in the garden. Satan appeared to Eve in the form of a serpent.
because he was born. Now getting into those scriptures of John, seven times in John, the I am, a significant phrase of who God is. Remember when Moses was in the uh, wilderness and God appeared to him in the burning bush and he says, who am I to go to Egypt and tell, to bring these people out? Who will I tell them sent me? And God said, I am. That's enough. But seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses this phrase, I am, to describe himself. Do you want to know the truth of who Jesus is this year? In John 8, 12, and in John 9, 5, he's the bread of life. And John, uh, excuse me, I said John 8. Uh, John 6.35, John 6.48, and John 6.51. Excuse that confusion there. I am the bread of life. In John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In John 6, 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. In this chapter, the feeding of the 5,000 takes place. Uh, Jesus is walking on water, and he's explaining to people that because they're, they're wanting him to produce this bread. They're looking for physical bread. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread. If you want to live, to have sustaining life, I am the bread that you need to nourish on, to get to know me. Because I am not only bread, I'm living he comes into us internally. We, we, we consume the words of God. And they come on the inside. And his life lives in me. He's the bread of life. In John 8, 12, and in John 9, 5, he's the light of the world. John 8, 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 9, 5, as Jesus again is speaking, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. If you're wondering about the darkness that we're living in, the era of darkness that seems so prevalent today in many parts of our world where Christians are being beheaded, where the fears of terrorism are mounting on all sides and all fronts. It's not safe even in America today. Chicago is a very unsafe place to live right now. But Jesus says, I 
you will walk with Him, allow Him to reveal this truth to you, you don't have to walk in darkness. He will light your path before you. In John 10, 7, and in John 10, 9, Jesus says He's the door. He's the door. He is the way we enter into His kingdom. In John 10, 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Becoming part of His kingdom, we, we allow Him to be our shepherd. The 23rd third Psalm is a beautiful, beautiful picture of allowing Him to be our shepherd. And I love the very last part of that. Surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. In John 9, 5, Jesus says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That is a powerful promise of God revealing truth to you in your soul this year to realize no matter how dark your world may be facing this year with trials that you have to face in this year, you can count on it. You can put it in the bank. He is the light in your life. And He's the light in my life. He's the light in this church. This is the reason people are drawn because they see the light of God because in God's light He brings healing. He brings redemption. He brings grace. He brings this Every Sunday we have people that are coming to the Lord, repenting of their sins and becoming Christian, becoming born again. That's letting people see the light. In John 10, 11, and in John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He's not only the light, he's the good shepherd. In John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd in John 10, 14. I know my own, and my own know me. Wow, what a powerful revelation that God can reveal to you in the person of Jesus Christ to you this year as you prove him that he knows you and you know I can't think of a better promise this year as you go through this year proving Him to be real in your life. Proving Him and the truth that that is true. That's a reality you can experience. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We do not have to fear death. We can live knowing that his family is an eternal family. All he's trying to put together is a family. A family that's going to live forever. A family that when we get home to be with him, we will not have to deal with any of the suffering and pain that we're in now. We have eternity to live this existence out with him. In John fourteen six. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth 
is not just an ideal. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. So that the reality of that, as he reveals this to you, you can realize how close you can get to him this year because no matter how much you've matured in the, your own relationship with God, he wants you to go deeper. He wants you to walk in a closer relationship with him this year. He does not want you to just coast through this year. He's wanting your steps and the steps of this church to be intentional, to be on purpose, and to be directed by the power of the Holy Spirit because he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. In John 15, 1, the last of the seven great I am scriptures in the, in the New Testament in John, he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. It is, again, a relationship in a family setting. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And coming to him, we enter into that family relationship eternally. And it says in John 15... If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you'll produce fruit. You'll produce the life that God intends for you to live, and the truth that you will have revealed to you about who God is, you will really begin to see God more clearly this year, who God is in your life, because you're going to prove Him. Secondly, Proving your own identity. The Beatitudes, there are eight Beatitudes that I think are very powerful in their method of allowing a person to discover who they were created to be. And quickly, I'd like to review these in the closing moments now. Matthew 5, 3 through 10. These short Beatitudes are meant to be taken in progression. They're the discovery of who you are as a person and how you fit in this family. The very first beatitude in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Any person who comes to God acknowledges their own poverty in God's presence. He is so awesome. The, about the only thing that anyone could do is fall on our face before God and recognize who He is. Blessed is that person. Blessed is that person. Because once that's the doorway that we enter to discover our true identity. Blessed is that person because when you get to that part, he gives you everything. He gives you the keys to the kingdom. Look at how it says in verse 3. Blessed is the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'd like you to underline that part if you have a Bible. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say theirs will be. It's present tense. You have the keys. Everything. God doesn't withhold anything from his children once they recognize that very first step. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there's something significant about that last phrase, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When I get a little bit further on down, I'll bring this back. In verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. As we go through our introduction to ourselves, we realize that not only do we have things that grieve us, uh, 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 but we face grief. But being able to grieve in the arms of a Savior who loves you brings comfort of realizing He's holding you in His arms and He loves you. In verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And meekness in our culture today is a lot of times considered a weakness, but to Jesus was not weak. And yet Jesus was known, uh, instead of Jesus, he was meek. Meekness is not weakness in God's eyes. So when it it says blessed is the meek, it means realizing your identity. The identity that God birthed in you is your own birthright. God wants you to possess that. Before you die. And that's why it talks about in that verse 5 about inherit the earth. I believe that personally for me, I believe that means you inherit your identity on earth before you go to heaven. Does anybody else want to do that? I want to know who I am before I go to heaven. And he promises if you take these steps of Letting him reveal truth to your own soul. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You're going to inherit, your true inheritance is who God created you to be. And he wants that released within you. But before you get to heaven, because he's got a purpose for your life here and now. The next is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And it's wonderful to be in a group of people like you are, who you get a sense of men and women who are hungry and thirsty to know God. He says he will satisfy that. And the reason he will satisfy that is he created you for that. That's what he created us for. And that hunger and that thirst can only be satisfied by us seeking him with your whole heart, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. You will receive satisfaction of your own identity in the kingdom of God because he's going to satisfy that. He wants to answer that. What is he wanting to answer that with? He's wanting to answer that with the truth. The next step is in verse 7. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Instead of being real judgmental people, condemning people, and I've heard this illustration before. You know, if you start pointing your finger at somebody and saying, look at them, look at them, do you realize you've got three fingers pointing back at yourself? Try that. Point your finger out and then look at these three fingers pointing back at you. Uh, God does not want us to be judgmental and condemning of one another. He doesn't want us to compare ourselves with each other. We're in this together, a journey together. And it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Instead of Instead of condemning somebody because of the clothes they're wearing or because of the position they're in in the world, if we can accept, and I think this is a lovely testimony of our church, to have people from all ethnic groups, all age groups, we're not in this to point out well, one's group is higher than the other. We don't look down at anyone else. You should feel accepted and loved in this family because we're going, we're growing together. The next one is, I love this one. Blessed are the pure in heart. Do you see how these steps, they're progressive? They're steps that are taken. You can't take this purity of heart at the beginning. You've got to work up to it. Blessed are the pure in heart. And what is the promise? You'll see God. Isn't that the ultimate of what we want? I want to see God. And aren't we beginning to see some of this here? The altar calls that are happening at the church, we're seeing God. And, and this purity of heart is contagious. People began to hear testimonies outside and they're drawn to this. This is a church that believes in prayer. Oh, I want to come and see this. And they come and they're drawn. They're drawn with a magnetism of that purity of love. And God welcomes them. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And number nine, there's nothing more powerful than forgiveness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And this is the first time you see the picture of God putting the family together. Blessed are the peacemakers. You see, when you get to this stage of your development in your own Christian walk, and discovering the identity that you were created to have, you're starting to become a peacemaker that affects others because you'll be called the sons of God. It's a family. We're all in this together. And the family loves one another. The last one, the eighth one, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Look at the ending of that. When you get to discover the true identity that God has created for you, when God reveals this to you, do you realize you completed the circle? What is the first? Blessed are the poor in spirit for what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
when you get to the end, you look like Jesus. Jesus was targeted. When you get to your own true identity, the target's on you, not because of you, but because of Jesus. Is that amazing? Could there be a better goal in life? As you go through this year of proving God, would you be happy to get to the point where you know God the way He truly is? To let Him reveal truth to you about His nature? To reveal to you your true identity? And when you go through these steps of becoming a real person, uh, it, it shouldn't surprise you Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. They they don't love Jesus. But you're going to be Jesus shining out to the world. So I pray in this year, as we close this fasting time in our church, as you go through this year, you will with me prove it. Prove him and see. Try. Try and see. In two areas. See if God doesn't reveal to you the truth. The truth about who he really is. And the truth about who you really are. That is something that I think would be an amazing discovery for us this year. Thank you. And as for you wanting this, uh, I'm going to let Pastor have the altar, but I'd like to uh, I'd like to give you an opportunity to say in maybe one or both of these areas, if you would really like this year to let God reveal the truth of who he is in your life, I would like to welcome you here at this altar and make it an altar.